I've been told, don't know if it's true yet, but I've been told that people mellow with age. I hope that's true as I grow older. I I, want to grow old graciously. I want to grow old kinder and gentler. I I don't want to focus on the things that don't matter. I just, I want to focus on the things that really count. When my touch of OCD flares up, things, uh, little things begin to bother me. I get cranky. Uh, Crooked pictures drive me absolutely insane. So yes, I hope we mellow with age. And if these letters of the aging Apostle John are any indication, it does seem very possible. I don't think any New Testament author writes with the gentleness of the Apostle John. But he was not always that way, you know. During the ministry of Jesus, John and his brother James were fishermen. And it was their mother, they had an altogether different temperament at that time, it was their mother who asked Jesus, she said, when you become a king, can one of my sons sit on your right hand and the other one sit on your left hand? Now, that's a brash request. You can kind of see where this this out there kind of feeling and temperament comes from. Uh, And when they went into a Samaritan village one time that refused to welcome Jesus. It was James and John that wanted to call down fire from heaven and just kaplooey, burn up the whole place. There's nothing mellow about that. As a matter of fact, they were so intense and they were so fiery that they had a nickname that the apostles and Jesus gave them. You remember what it was? Sons of thunder, that's exactly right. That does not sound exactly like the kind of person you think of as being mellow. However, by the time the apostle writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he's been through a lot of life-transforming moments, not the least of which was being banished to an island, a prison island called Patmos. Now, whether these letters were written while he was on the island of Patmos or whether these were written from Ephesus after he was released, we're pretty sure that they were written somewhere around the time 90 A.D., which means, folks, that the Apostle John is the last of the 12 apostles still alive. Even the great Apostle Paul had already been martyred in the city of Rome. Now, I'm hoping that you'll take the time to read all three of these books sometime today, but this morning we're going to focus our attention on the words that we find in 1 John. And this is the first passage that I want to read this morning. It's from chapter 4, verse 7 and following. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No man has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. There is a constant thread that weaves its beauty through this letter. It is the theme of love. Not a theme that would be fostered by a son of thunder, but a theme from an older man who has come to realize what really matters and what doesn't. It is by far the most dominant word in the text. 
Folks, do you realize the word love appears 35 times in the five short chapters of 1 John? 35 times. That's more times. Love appears in 1 John more times than it does in any other New Testament book. This is the plea from an old man's heart to the young church, the bride of Christ, to love one another. And actually, I can't think of a better theme for Mother's Day. Uh, we didn't plan it this way. It just worked out this way that as we end up our study, the first, second, third John fall on Mother's Day. I mean, who understands love like a mother? It is still a theme, however, that needs our attention today. I, I, think, I think we find it easier to talk about loving God than we do to be, talk about loving others. I mean, after all, when you talk about loving God, that's kind of an abstract thing. You know, we, as John said in the text, no man has seen God. So we talk about loving God. Oh, yes, we love God. It's, it's, it's subjective. It's abstract. But then he says, love one another. And, and that changes everything. I can see you. You can see me. I, you know, face to face, it's a little hard for me to ignore this command, love one another. It's very objective. But here's, here's the good thing. When we learn how to love one another, we are loving God. Maybe that's why when Jesus was asked what is the most important commandment, he combined two of them together. He said, the most important commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all of your being and to love your neighbor as yourself. When we learn how to love one another, we are indeed loving God. God. So John's letter resonates with the theme, love one another. Brandon Moody writes about the unusual but memorable conclusion to an Easter pageant at the church where his uncle ministered. The final scene depicted Jesus ascending to the Father. At the end of the story, you know, Jesus gives the great commission, then he ascends to the Father, and, and there's a hole in the ceiling of the church building, and there's stagehands that are pulling a rope, and they're going to pull Jesus right up through the ceiling, you know, to ascend up to the Father. <laughs> Everything has gone really well throughout this whole pageant until the end. They get him about halfway up to the ceiling, and the rope slips out of their hands, and Jesus comes back down much more like the second coming than the ascension at that point in time. And they catch the rope, and he jerks to a stop about six inches above the floor. The actor never breaks his part, never loses his poise, and he says to this group of horrified disciples on the stage, he says, oh, by the way, one more thing, love one another. <laughs> and they jerk him right back up through the hole. Now, that's not the way the real story ends, but it's a pretty good ending to the story itself, isn't it? Because I'm really convinced that if John were here to preach this morning, or if Jesus were here to preach this morning, I think the message would be the same. Love one another. Because if we get this one right, everything else will fall into place. But the question arises, why, why should I want to invest my time, energy, and, and, and be vulnerable in loving others? That's a good question. So, let me answer from some of the truths that we find in 1 John's letter. Here's the first thing. Loving sincerely results in living abundantly. Loving sincerely results in living abundantly. Look at verse 12 again. It says, if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. 
This, this certainly indicates that if we love one another, we'll, we'll feel alive inside. Uh, look, take a look at what John wrote in chapter 3, a chapter earlier, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life. How? Because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. You get the picture here that there's some connection between loving and living? That if you aren't loving, then you aren't really alive with the power of God at work in you? John records in his gospel Jesus saying this, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. You want to live? You want to experience life to its greatest moments and depths? Then learn how to love. Abundant living grows out of abundant loving. Being filled with God's love and sharing that love with others around us makes us live better. Where people love those around them, there is a greater sense of happiness, and in most cases, a greater sense of well-being. You get that? When you learn how to love, you're happier, and you're better adjusted to life. When love is absent in your life, life becomes empty. Even research is beginning to, to bear this out. What God's Word says, research backs up now. ABC, ABC News reported on a study that showed being with one you love or being with the ones you love is linked to a drop in blood pressure and an extension of your life. When you're sharing your life with those people that you love, it, it's good for your blood pressure. It, it gives you the opportunity to perhaps live longer. According to research compiled by Dr. Dean Ornish, just putting your affectionate feelings on paper can lower your cholesterol level. I had to read this two or three times. That can't be so. But they did a research for five weeks. Volunteers wrote, just wrote down their feelings for loved ones in 20-minute sessions three times a day. And afterwards, they were found to have significantly lowered cholesterol levels in their peers. Just writing about your love. Lowers your cholesterol, according to this study. Levels of the anti-aging hormone DHEA, which produces feelings of youth and vitality, are also affected by feelings of love. Researcher Esther Sternberg has found that acts of selfless love can increase immunity by decreasing stress. But here's the most fascinating part of the whole research. When you show support and affection for loved ones, it slows the aging process more than receiving love. You understand what this is saying? This is the results of a study of more than 700 elderly people who showed that the effects of aging were influenced more by what, they, what the participants contributed to their social network than what they received from it. You get the picture? We would think, wouldn't you think this would be the case? The more people that love you, the better you'll feel. That's not what the research is saying. The research is saying the more you love, the better you feel. It's not about who loves you. It's about who you love that makes the difference. Now, love isn't a guarantee of, of complete health, but you have a better chance at being healthy when you love. Abundant loving makes for abundant living. Medical missionary Dr. Albert Schweitzer said, life becomes harder for us when we live for others, but it also becomes richer and happier. There's a holiday song that we hear in December that goes, I wish it could be Christmas all year long. You know the song I'm talking about? 
Okay, about December 26, I don't want to hear that song anymore on the radio. But I understand, I understand what the song is talking about. It's not that people really want it to be red and green decorations all year long, or that they're silver bells, or for goodness sakes, that it's winter all year long. That's not what people are wanting. The, the reason the song is what it is is because people want that feeling of love all year long. But it, here's, it doesn't take a holiday to create that. That's a choice that we make. And again, it's not about the being loved, it's about loving. So be proactive and start loving others. And when you begin to love like the Bible tells us we ought to love, you'll be amazed at how alive you feel. So then the question arises, well, how do I love others like I should? Which brings us to the second point. Loving sincerely is seen in acting compassionately. Let me read from uh, chapter 3 of 1 John. Verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and he sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, now hang on to that word pity. We're going to come back to that in a few minutes. How can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. I like how Kenneth Boa put it. He said, our calling and purpose as followers of Christ is to love God completely, to love self correctly, and to love others compassionately. Now, most of the time, we men don't do good uh, with a sermon on love. We, we just don't handle it very well because, well, when we hear the word love, we think romance and gushy and all that kind of stuff. And, and we men just generally aren't as good with that kind of thing. We're not as expressive with our words. When, when men want to show their love, they, they demonstrate it with things that they make or fix or correct or they do or they protect. Those are the, way, those are the common ways that men express uh, their love. And so Jesus, I think, understanding how we men understand love, gave us this word. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus knew we did better with do than say. And so when I understand what the Bible says is a command, then I know when I am obedient to that command, I'm expressing love to God. I get that. That helps. But it's also a way that we can express our love to others. How, how do you love people that you don't know? It's by doing what is the right thing. And people are watching to make sure that our actions of compassion back up our words of love. Now, this being Mother's Day, guys, let me remind you how important being compassionate toward your wife or your mother really is. And while it's true that our love language is that of fixing and building, we still need to be careful with our words. A, a, a recent study found, a, a recent study found that women who carry a little extra weight live longer than the men who mention it. <laughs> Make sure your words aren't just lip service, all right? Give your words life through your actions. A less than attentive husband frequently told his wife, honey, I would die for you, but he never seemed to pay attention to her. One day she got mad and she said, you always say that, but you never do it. <laughs> your actions, your actions are your language of love. So I would ask you this morning, do your actions speak of complacency or do they speak of compassion? 
Now, that's a challenge for all of us as individuals, but it's also a challenge for the church. Clarence Jordan wrote this. He said, the proof that God raised Jesus from the dead isn't the empty tomb. It's not a rolled away stone. It's a carried away church. You know, I kind of like that. If people are going to believe that Jesus came back from the dead, today it's going to be from a carried away church who loves him and who loves others in his name. I believe God has called us to demonstrate the compassion of Christ to a lost and dying world. Now, now just stop and think about the ways that you could do that. Uh, we've got a lot of opportunities around here for you to explore new areas. Well, this week, we've got three different teams going out, short-term mission teams going out from the congregation here. Uh, I think it's on Thursday that uh, we have a 30, about 34 women uh, who are going to New York City. They're going to be working with the Mission NISM. They're going to be working in downtown area, uh, ministering to people of needs. That, you know, 34 women whose lives are about to change as they attempt to love others in the name of Christ. Uh, we got a group of college age and young adults that are headed to the eye clinic in Honduras that we support. They're going to be down there with an, with an eye clinic. We have another group of college age and young adults that are headed to Swaziland to work with the One Child Ministry over uh, in, in Swaziland great opportunities to break out of your comfort zone and love people in places you can, you've never thought of going, places you've never perhaps been, and loving them in ways you've never tried. And you say, well, I'm not sure I can do that. Or it may be another year before I can do that. So what do I do in the meantime? Well, when's the last time you did something nice for somebody else? But besides family. I mean, are, 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 do you ever give thought to this? Uh, the quotable Yogi Berra said, always go to other people's funerals, uh, otherwise they won't come to yours. <laughs> but don't wait for somebody to die. Do something nice, whether you know them or not. Give flowers to someone anonymously, but make sure they know they were given in the name of Christ. So here's your assignment this week. Get creative. Do something out of love that you haven't done for a while, or, or maybe never. Make a call to somebody you haven't talked to for a long time and just encourage them. Send a card to somebody for no particular reason. Fix a pan of brownies and share them with your coworkers on the job. Hug somebody who is lonely. Ask the clerk at the checkout line about his or her family. Say the words, I love you, to somebody who desperately needs to hear them. As a matter of fact, if you go out to eat today, which I'm assuming probably a lot of you will do because it is Mother's Day, remember that the person who's serving at your table, if they're, if they're a younger person, they're probably not, they're giving up their day away from their mother to be serving you. And maybe if it's a mother who is actually serving, she's giving up her opportunity to be with her family today to serve you. So be extra kind, be extra generous with your tip. Encourage that person, thank them for taking their time to make your Mother's Day celebration memorable. See, it's just the, it's the little things. It's, it's being creative and thoughtful with the little things. Now, remember I told you, hang on to that word pity. The New International Version translates the, the word in the Greek pity, but it is the word splagna. Now, it's not the most pleasant sounding word in the world, but, but it is a great word. It, it comes from the depths of, you know when we talk about gut feeling? It comes from the depths of our gut feeling. It is the word that best describes compassion. When you operate out of this gut feeling, your stomach is churning because you've seen a need and you cannot help but respond to that need. God has placed it on your heart and you say, I have got to do something about this. 
that is the splagna of this passage. And it is God saying, park your brain in neutral and just act upon what your gut is telling you to do. Sometimes our actions of compassion are the actions that change people's lives most. Does it describe you, this splagna? Will it make a difference in your life this week? Let every day be filled with the compassion of Christ. Loving sincerely is knowing God personally. Notice what John wrote in verse 8. He said, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. One cannot love like God who does not know God. Or to say it another way, if you really know God, if you truly know God, you can't help but love others because God is love. Now, obviously, we can't know everything about God. We can't know God in, in, in His totality. But God has chosen to reveal Himself to us in a variety of ways, and we've got to know the ways that God has chosen to reveal Himself. Part of that comes from His Word. Part of that's why we've been in this series for nine months on going through the Word of God so that you get a handle on what the Scriptures have to say because it teaches us so much about the character of God. He's described with words like this. He is love. He is light. He is truth. He is holy, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. He's a fortress. He's a rock. He's sovereign. He's sleepless. He's a healer. He's a sustainer. He's a creator. God is eternal, and the list goes on and on and on. How would you know that if you were never in his word? God gave us his word to reveal himself to us. God has also revealed himself to us in his creation. Uh, folks, I never cease to be fascinated and amazed by what God communicates to us about His loving character and His creative power in the creation around us. Uh, just a couple, three weeks ago, uh, uh, Elsie and I had, had the chance to watch Charlotte's Web, the movie Charlotte's Web, with our granddaughters and our daughter Rebecca, and we had a really good time watching the movie with the kids. I'd forgotten what a, what a neat story that was. You, you remember the classic children's story, don't you, about Charlotte the spider who, when it is discovered that Wilbur the pig was being fattened up to go to market, she goes to work and she writes in her web all these words of praise for Wilbur until Wilbur becomes a celebrity and, and is famous uh, all over the place. That's Charlotte's Web. Well, it, it's a fantasy, of course. But do you know how amazing spiders are? Now, don't get me wrong. I am not a spider fan, okay? But I am amazed at, at the capacity that God gave to them. The, the, a spider's web material is about one-tenth the diameter of a human hair, but it is ten times stronger than steel on a weight-for-weight -weight basis. And yet, when it's struck by a flying insect, it can stretch without breaking. What's more, get this, these orb weavers construct their webs with a silk that reflects ultraviolet light. Now, you and I cannot see ultraviolet light. I wish we could. I walk into spider webs every once in a while. You get that all over your face and hands. Insects and birds both see ultraviolet light but it affects them two different ways. An insect, to an insect, the ultraviolet light reflected from the web is like a neon sign inviting them in. As a matter of fact, are you ready for this? Some spiders actually, in their building of their orb-shaped web, will use that coating that reflects the ultraviolet light to create the image of a flower in the web so it draws and attracts the insects even more. 
But what draws the insects becomes like a yellow warning sign to the birds. Have you ever wondered why birds don't fly into spiders' nests and webs? It's because the ultraviolet light that's reflected is like a signal, change course, and they do. Amazing. If God can enable a spider with such incredible tools to survive in this world, then imagine what tools he's given to you, the crown of his creation, to love others in this world so that through your loving acts, they will discover the Father himself. Do you know the God who designed you? And then God, as most of all, revealed himself in his Son. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. But there is one characteristic of God that you can only find in Jesus, which brings us to the very last thought this morning, and that is simply this. Loving sincerely is expressed in living sacrificially. It is only in the life of Christ that we understand the sacrificial love of God. Look again at verse 10. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. First John 3.16, this is the other John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that He laid down His life for His friends. Author and speaker Philip Yancey writes, he said, why did Jesus keep the scars from his crucifixion? Presumably, he could have had any resurrected body he wanted, and yet he chose one that was identifiable mainly by the scars that could be seen and touched. Why? We dream of an unnatural state. The perfect body is what we dream about. But for Jesus, being confined in a skeleton and human skin was the unnatural state. The scars are to him an emblem of life on our planet, a permanent reminder of those days of confinement and suffering and sacrifice. You see, the scars on his hands and feet and side and head remind us that our God loves us sacrificially. If you travel through Washington, D.C., and you cross over the Potomac, you will likely cross over the Arlen D. Williams Jr. Memorial Bridge, and you say, who in the world was Arlen D. Williams? Well, on January the 13th, 1982, he gave hope to five individuals at the cost of his own life. On that cold January day, and some of you will remember this from your history, Air Florida Flight 90 crashed into the icy Potomac. Almost all of the passengers perished. Five different times, a rescue helicopter dropped a rope to save Williams. Five times, Williams passed the rope to other passengers in worse shape than he was. But after that fifth time, he could no longer sustain himself in the icy waters and slipped beneath the surface of the Potomac. Five people lived because Arlen D. Williams made the ultimate sacrifice. Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And that's how God has loved us. And God asks us to love with the same compassion. A mother's love is almost unexcelled. Perhaps the only thing greater is the love of the Father that created a mother's love in the beginning. So to let us love Him and let us love one another 
so that the world will know that God is love.